Welcome to Cloud Realities, a conversation show exploring the practical and exciting alternate realities that can be unleashed through cloud-driven transformation. I'm Dave Chapman. I'm Shao Kazal. And I'm Rob Kernahan. And this week, we're going to be talking about data products in the retail sector. How do you evolve to data as a product approach and what benefits can it bring? Joining us this week to talk about their journey and what leading through this journey is like and some of the challenges is Wes Interreden, Director of Data and Information at Burberry. Wes, great to see you. Thanks for joining us this week. Do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Burberry? I'm Wes Interreden. I'm the Director of Data and Information at Burberry, and that really entails the foundational element usually of data serving the entire enterprise. Let's kick off with the ambition that you guys have around becoming a data-driven organization. And that's a phrase that gets bandied around like quite a lot. So let's, let's start with maybe your definition and the definition that you guys are talking about. What do you mean by data-driven initially? Well, it has multiple definitions. So, and it's not you, there's a, there's a you Wessel and there's a you Burberry, mm-hmm. i.e. there's a number of people that look at data driven in, uh, through different lenses. So the lens I apply is enablement. So as a company and as an industry, what's happening is more and more touch points with customer, supplier, vendor, and customer is individual wholesale and more in the digitized in a digitized space more and more need to to be innovative to have multiple touch points hmm. and therefore more and more specialist application so w- we are still quite erp centric but we have many more applications in our landscape than we ever had and therefore if we have multiple applications that all engage with the same partner, vendor, supplier, um, customer, employee, how do we make sure that there's consistency? So that the data enablement uh, and the data-driven organization I often refer to is consistency of data across all applications and, and therefore allow us to, to continuously grow and have those multiple touch points, but be consistent that when a customer engages with Burberry, that uh, whatever platform or application they, they, they deal with, it's the same product content. Hmm. It's the same price. It's the same inventory. Yeah, so consistency. So therefore allow the organization to be, to be very customer, vendors, et cetera, facing, but having that, that backbone of consistency. That's one of the lenses I applied. There is a, a predictive analytics um, lens on that as well, which we can cover separately. Yeah, I was, I was actually going to come on to the rationale for going through the process, because obviously aligning data, as we know, and it's a, it's a, it's a long-held truth, that it's, it's way easier to say than do. 
So what I can see in your description there is tremendous customer experience advantage. What are the other uses that you think you're going to drive through the business as a result of going through the journey? Through the business is basically speed and agility. Yeah. How are we going to evolve constantly with the marketplace, with new business models, evolved business models? So effectively helping helping that, that evolution. So I would say in, in the current day and age, a lot of companies are struggling with their heavy backbone of of systems of the ERP. And they've, everything is hard. Is almost every change is hard because with ERP, everything is constantly the, the great thing, everything is integrated, but therefore everything is about everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And therefore change is hard. An organization I worked with on that point had a large ERP system and they had three global instances which they wrestled for years into one single global instance. And then it became so interdependent that they could barely make changes to the thing. So it actually slowed the business down. And, and therefore the outcome. So good IT obviously is, is something I care about, but that's, that's not what we're selling. What we're trying to sell is speed and agility and the, the enablement of the business to transform itself constantly with new initiatives and say obviously sustainability is and and the capability of of bigger companies to be able to move with the time with constantly changing requirements both uh, legal requirements as well as customer expectations yeah and that that is that's changing so fast at the moment how do we do that and and therefore and how do we do that across multiple platforms hmm. yeah and often with new new requirements coming out that somehow we we can't just plonk that in to existing applications how do you do that so speed and agility is is the outcome i always look for not um great architecture great yeah. architecture enables speed and agility but it's in that sequence and from an architectural point of view at the moment with obviously cloud coming along and the evolution of application architecture and mm-hmm. now presumably not having the data so coupled to applications it gives us a new opportunity yes and that that's so i talk about data centricity a lot and and of almost and this is there's a marketing element to it to it yeah so plug and play of new applications because plug into that data centricity and data is master data and transaction data in a common Burberry standard therefore um, people don't have to ask the question people being new new applications solution architects they don't need to know everything about everything just buy the data product yeah buy consume the data product and and therefore enable people to not solve every problem just solve their problem and consistency is is therefore given without them even asking for it it's a it's a very powerful pattern isn't it when you get data into a state where you can just get on top of the data and not have to worry about the systems that are producing it beneath so you're unencumbered by that complexity and legacy but you're able to be curious you're able to try new things you're able to build things based just on the data set and then suddenly 
you get this freedom in the organization. I think many businesses are waking up to the power of this, this style of integration, integrate through data and don't worry so much about the producer systems beneath it, but just, yeah, they have to be managed, but actually I can sit on top of a, a very pure and consistent model that, uh, you know, enables freedom. Yes. And, and because of the rapid changes, we don't have the luxury, but I think very few of, of other companies do, of a single system of entry or record of, of a master data or transaction data object. So, so therefore, um, th- there's, a, there's a new problem, and that also is combined with the continuous need to, to decommission older systems. So we're constantly changing. How do you do that? How do you both enable change and um, and update your system landscape and update, upgrade your system landscape? And that dilemma, i.e., sometimes you're like we, we can only do one, but but really that's not realistic. We need to do both. We can't stand still, but we can't run aged architecture either. So we need to be able to do both. So therefore, a decoupling and an abstraction layer and data centricity is something we're pursuing uh, to try to do both. That doesn't make it easy. Yeah, the, obviously, this is a chat. Um, once you sit with engineers, then then it really gets hard. But we're making good progress. And I think it's that everybody has the burden of the past, but they need to meet the challenge of the future. And this pattern I see rising a lot with, a ah, there is a practical pathway using this approach, data-centric, way to to enable the, the future it is one of the critical mechanisms of any organization that's going to thrive in the future yes the thing is though the business business who are consumers of this data and use it to build the business models and interaction everything I, I still see them waking up to the reality of how they need to think about data and i was interested in your view in about your culture and has that shifted to understand that this is the future this this very powerful thing and then you get onto the point you made about ai and predictive analytics this can add real business value is that has that awareness arisen it's a growing awareness but i'd like it to be um to it for it to accelerate let me put it that way so most most companies are, are familiar with say um process owners order to cash procure to pay i'm, I'm going to go very basic here um but a business owner of single view of product single view of price it sounds a bit techy or do we really need to? But but really, the enablement of of that. And uh, I was having a discussion early in the week about, say, pricing. Where, where is the industry, not necessarily Burberry specifically, going with? How do we sell our products? Is that always through stores and 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 dot com? thirdparty.com are we going to ever have sort of associates sales associates that that sell on any social media platform yeah that that kind of i'm i'm just dreaming here yeah or the metaverse you know the metaverse uh, uh, exactly and therefore what do they need consistent view of product price and inventory yeah i mean again i'm going very basic but how do how do we enable the future and whether that is a, a business model that we're going into or something else. What we do know is that the rate of change is going to increase more and more and more. So how are we ready for that? And and what's also clear is not all those 
solutions or touch points are going to be internal, i.e. owned by us. So how do we scale to that? How do we meet the challenge of the future? So, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really uh, obviously equally excited as well as, oh, my God, how is this? How we're going to do this? Yeah. We did a podcast a few weeks ago around changing management styles and systems thinking going away and uncertainty and things like mm. the Kinefin framework rising. It's almost, and and the, the, the position was you have to prepare your organization to be able to adapt to whatever you face in the yeah. future, but you may not know COVID taught us we weren't prepared for that. Uh, and exactly yeah. becoming data centric and the things that you discuss are preparing you for what the future might hold. So it's future proofing your architecture and systems to allow the business to adapt and be flexible extremely quickly. And, and therefore, that that discovery or the journey for for that what what you call business ownership of these data products is much more of a cultural journey than anything else. Very and, much so. and the rate of change, I would say, in IT uh, is sometimes higher than the rate of change within the business. And and um, it, it's hard to meet these challenges and sometimes uh, difficult to explain. It is. It um, is very difficult, and and yeah. you know, I think many, if not all, organisations that are going through some aspect of digital transformation are going through the same challenges of the cultural yeah. journey, and yeah. and I sort of align it to digital skills and being sort of a business leader who, for years, has effectively had an expertise in whatever their business domain would be, mm. but then almost always have a secondary expertise in finance and how the business actually functions and to me digital becomes one of those at least one of those secondary skills it's it's so to the forefront of how organizations are evolving that it becomes critical i think for business leaders to have digital as one of their secondary skills yeah so what i try to do to to sort of think outside the box is is ask this question what does amazon sell and then the answer turns out to be, well, it used to be books <laughs> many moons ago. And now it's everything, anything. Yeah. And therefore, well, how is a company able to do that? And the answer is, it's the same model. It really doesn't matter. The pro- they have a, a, a pro- data product for, for finished good, for price, for inventory, hmm. for fulfillment. Yeah. And therefore... It's almost like, what shall we do next? Because right, there's no right. tech inhibitor for for them, and that's sort of the mindset I'm 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 aligning to. Now I'm not saying we're Amazon. No, <laughs> that's no. the last thing I did. But as a as a mental aid to think, but well, that's a capability thing. Yeah, as a model, the capability is A to B to C. And you have then a series of of supporting data products underneath that, and and and, and therefore you can push anything through that model. I do want to return to the phrase that you use, the data product, and just in your mind, what is that, and how is that different to just managing data generally? What is a data product? I'll, I'll start there. So that's um, I, I I try to explain it like this: that single view of finished good, single view of bill of materials, single view of raw materials, single view of vendors, single view of inventory, Hmm. single view of historical sales, which is also 
a very important single view of demand, single view of supply. So those are the, the core, the basic data products that, uh, that we're working on and, and, and have. And therefore, going back to that, that very complex landscape, we have many systems of entry for most of these data products. Therefore, either any new or subscribing system, we can either create a whole host of interfaces and the subscriber needs to do all that modeling, every individual subscriber, or we create that that data product, and that becomes therefore a physical product, a consolidation of the many systems of, of potentially many systems of entry. Um, and that data product, to, to go to your next question, is available and trusted data. Yeah, so what, what is it? Available and trusted data for any subscriber to, to have access to, and it's got, therefore, many layers. It's, a, it's usually a, a canonical and physical model, and then we have a team that looks at data quality. I was going to say, would you align the term product, I think is very specific, so would you align like product management techniques to that product mm, yeah. to, to sort of maintain the data and its consistency and accuracy? Yes, so... Um, we call them data product managers simply to not call them product managers because product managers are usually associated with business capabilities. Mm-hmm. So uh, a data product manager is yeah that, that single view, but therefore also that data product manager looks at the run aspect as well as the future. Yeah, and run being, is it available? Is it trusted? Yeah, uh, and how do we engage with 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 the rest of the organization? Yeah, because you, in a way, you're, all, you're also a, a shop. Yeah, we're trying to be a shop to right. come to our shop right. and buy our shiny data product, and you can trust it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's after after sales service. <laughs> yeah, get a loyalty so, card out of it as well. well you get stamped every card, time no. you use a data product. No, yeah. but <laughs> but from for an organization having these data products, it's it's actually not a loyalty card. It's almost a reverse loyalty card. Once once you've built it once, yeah. every new subscriber gets it for free. Yeah. Um, now, for free, obviously, data dictionaries are different for every subscriber, so so there's still work, but the product is there, and and therefore also from a cost base for for us, um, it it actually the the return on investment once there's once it's reused, once a data product is reused, the the return on investment is enormous, and therefore we create speed agility. And scalability. Yeah, and yeah. and then from a uh, one of the things that organisations are having to wake up to is when you go to product centric models, lines of funding needs to change. Traditional IT funding lines have been through programs <laughs> yes. and projects, and yep. and now we have to curate these things. They're a thing we need to sustain. They need to survive and thrive. What's your view on 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 that shift? Because these are things that the whole organisations use, but no one funding vehicle may an, allow you to initiate and create one from the big so, beginning. So we need to think differently. So I recognise the challenge. The great thing that at strategic level and IT leadership level, we've we've uh, coined things like what what are our strategic initiatives and data and APIs are one of those. So therefore. Uh, 
um, using our principles, we can enforce projects enforce in the in the lighter sense of the word yeah that there's no uh, no one's carrying a stick here um to no no you have we have to consume that data via a data product slash api right. therefore the problem is usually the first project that requests it is is the one paying yeah so that's in a way unfortunate but it's that's accepted as a as an as an unfortunate byproduct of our funding model, yeah. So therefore, we're going to do it like this. The first 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 subscriber uh, is the is the one paying for it. Now, the good thing is, it's usually the same business areas that reuse those data product in multiple projects. Yeah. So. It, it, there isn't that sense of envy. <laughs> yeah. And and then there must be a point when you, you hit critical mass where you, you talked about the facets of the core products yeah. earlier, then you get there and then it, it's almost like it's it's much easier and that burden of initial one in has gone. Yes. Yeah. yes. And, and I would say we're reaching that now that a number of projects are going to our internal API portal and saying, oh, so it's already done. Oh, and it's already documented. And it's assembled uh, and it's quick and it's fast. And suddenly, whoom, you're at the place you, want, yes, you always wanted yes. to be. Yeah. And, and, and therefore, it suddenly, and this is back to the funding question, very appealing because, hold on, what we used to do is you had the, let, let me call it the data engineers as part of these projects. And every time you had to have a data engineer and now is we're trying to turn it around a little bit. Like with the data centricity, the projects are just a customer, yeah. And yep. but the customer reusing the products that are already there, yeah. And and therefore we've because because a lot of landscapes are, are quite complex. So effectively, we're also reducing that that. Um, the need for golden resources, yeah, those bottlenecks that many organizations have of that, those superstars that you have, uh, every organization I've worked for has always got, oh, we better get uh, uh, Johnny involved or, or Sarah involved because he or she knows everything, yeah, mm-hmm. that we want to we wanna move away from that and commoditized data products. Very it much is so. One of those those ways, and and really, um, also, it's a benefit to those to those key resources because mm. they don't have to do the complex things for every project. We we can start thinking about the future. It removes the expert bottleneck from the organization. Those yes. highly valuable people. I think um, uh, Gene Kim calls that out in the uh, in the Phoenix yeah. Project, doesn't he? Which are like, yes. The, yes. you know, the, the the people who you absolutely rely on and quite often keep everything moving along, but through no fault of their own, they end up inhibiting pace. Absolutely, we've seen that over the years, and um, no fault of their own, but sometimes, and and because those type of people real subject matter experts they care they care deeply and therefore at times the stress levels because the demand is so high uh for for summer in in peaked in peak times yeah so so it, it's even about we're even talking about well-being here 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. But look, to bring the conversation to a bit of a close today, I want to just return to the little model that we talked about, which is like, if you establish steps one, two, three, you have the correct data products underneath it, you can then, you can then push product through that. And very briefly, I just wanted to talk about the application architecture evolution you must be going through to achieve that sort of pattern. Presumably you're looking at abstraction. Yep. And where are you on that journey and what challenges are you getting to getting to that point of we now have composable processes with tech that supports that with underlying data products? Uh, well, it's it, first of all, first of all, it's hard, but um, we've, we've created a factory model. So that's working really well. So we've ring-fenced a group of engineers that just look at this. Um, then the, the second challenge is the continuous change of the underlying systems. So what, one of the key things about the, the reference to canonicity is how do we um, – what's the governance? What's What are the naming conventions that we use? And therefore, who owns these – these naming conventions. Then secondly, or second, thirdly, uh, another challenge is obviously continuous change. Yeah, because um, again, sustainability is a, is a good example. New fields will, uh, I'm going quite basic, but new fields emerge all the time. So therefore, hub and spoke, data centricity is great. But now versioning, yeah, how do we do this? Because um, and how do we do the governance? Because new fields doesn't mean that a subscriber is interested in that field. So how do we evolve our operating model to that data centricity? And that's really a, an area we're reaching right now. The other big one that, so almost going back to the very start about analytics. So the data products, we, we want to also start augmenting the data products with predictive analytics fields that help the decision making in in applications mm. yeah not just insightful um, analytics but also help the whole uh, every consuming application use augmented data to further optimize whatever whatever it does so continuous evolution of those data models is is the next challenge, evolution, i.e. growth as well. And what advice would you give to an organization that is starting on this journey? It's like you have got a real grip on what's going on and the evolution in your organization is, is really clear and, you know, really starting to push ahead with some of this stuff, though, you know, though the journey is challenging, there's no doubt about that. So if I'm like at the beginning of that journey and uh, I, could, I could leverage a couple of pearls of wisdom from you, what would they be? Start with the recognition of data as as a communal product, yeah. Because often I see many organisations and uh, and ourselves as well. Yeah, we're, we're in love with the the new application. Yeah, that's always where all the excitement is, and and therefore to to pause and say, right, how do we have how do we I'm even going to say commoditize that data and therefore appoint somebody that's actually not part of the project. That person and that group is part of every project. And therefore, um, almost pause and reflect and, and not 
uh, go with every project, say, what is that central capability we need? And therefore, scale, scale to that. And that goes back to Rob's question. How do you fund that as well? Yeah, because that's, that's often a, a challenge. But that's what I would say, recognize the need for those communal products, the communal needs, and scale, scale to that. And also make sure that at, uh, with, with our consulting partners, that we ring fence the right resources because these are usually very knowledge hungry areas. And therefore, um, there's, there's a lot of value in people being part of a team for an elongated period of time to really build up their mastery. But then secondly, document, 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 documentation is, is boring. Yeah. But it's essential. It's essential. A commoditized product is fully documented. So also taking the time to, to really document um, and and therefore having the time, taking the time but having the time, which is often, it's not a funding issue, it's a capacity issue usually. But every time you don't spend the time on documenting and making it therefore reusable, repeatable, it becomes uh, the problem for the next project because people are unaware what's already been done. Documentation, documentation, documentation. All right, Schalk, what have you been looking at this week? So each week I will do some research on what's trending in tech. And this week I want to focus on how to establish a data-driven culture change. So to really become a successful data-driven organization, it's extremely important to establish a data-driven culture. And the benefits of that data-driven culture is to examine and organize the data in such a way that it serves the organization's customers and consumers. And actually, establishing a data-driven culture is more a matter of influencing than a matter of control. So therefore, leaders and CDOs need to show leadership in three areas of influence. First one, identify and communicate the business value of data across your organization. Also address the cultural change impacts of a data-driven approach and inspire your people to believe that this change is really necessary. And lastly, manage the ethical implications of data and analytics by, for instance, establishing a code of conduct that defines ethical guidelines and also be clear about any trust expectations. So Wes, a question for you. What do you think of these areas of influence? Are they important? And do you think this will really help organizations to change their culture, culture towards a data, data-driven organization? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't, I, I can't even try to disagree with, with any um any of them. So, um, one of the challenges we have, because again, I agree completely with it, is that there is still, I would say, an outdated notion that data is that thing that IT does. Yeah. And and therefore, uh, we have a number of people in our in our IT organization that, that understand data both technically but actually also impact-wise and, and benefit-wise. 
Now, that to me is is in the wrong place. Yeah, that what can we do with the data? Yeah, where does it surface application solutions, analytics? And therefore, that that's very much a gradual cultural shift to share that and, and therefore start with the outcome. Yeah, because in the end, the business cares about outcome and no one, we, Burberry, we don't buy data, sell data. We use data. Yeah. And why do we use data? For an outcome. That's it. So so there is sometimes quite a different language we need to speak and that, that influencing um, aspect that you raised. How do how do we also as, as IT professionals not talk that IT language? Yes, but it is important because of uh, API or I, I love the word canonicity. Um, however, when I use that in a in a meeting with with business leaders, they they look at who who's the IT loony who let the IT loony in. Yeah, is that what the pirates used to have? Canonicity. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, that that influencing us. What does it allow us to do? Yeah, I have to lead with the outcome and and therefore make it clear that. Um, that data, and obviously we've been talking about data products. How do you nurture? How do how do you cultivate? How do you cre- curate? Yeah. And what is in it for you? Yeah, it is not a, just an IT thing. I think you make such, you make such a good point on language, which is, you know, it can if you, if you're using the wrong language, it can be extremely off putting, can't it? To yeah. to to others that particularly aren't they either don't understand. You know, you see, you're effectively not communicating correctly. Mm. Or you're alienating almost. Or you're, or, you're, or you're actively alienating. Yeah, so mm. surely a good part, of, a big part of culture is is addressing that language point. And, and actually, I'd never thought of it quite like that. It's a powerful point. Yes, but it's, it's quite hard for people that are almost IT people died through the walls, died through the wool. Yeah to embrace that and to uh, to find that empathy with with the business to say, how do you look at this yeah because often i find myself saying oh, data products and apis are fantastic this is what you want and they're, they're looking at you again blankly yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and therefore how do you also create the time to write and and to ex, to, to tell that story to your business partners, yeah, and that that's just very hard. Again, also because it's a little bit alien to how IT people have been trained and, and how we think. Yeah, we we love fields, <laughs> we love data dictionaries. Yeah, and that's in the business. It's the opposite. They don't care. It's that adage: if you don't use the right language, you don't understand my problem. And it's that IT needs to learn to speak differently. So you were saying earlier, single view of the customer, that resonates far better than a data product associated with the customer and things like this. It's the the way you phrase and position the what you're creating that's so important. But the the other thing, and I think I've stolen that from somewhere, browsing browsing the web, um, my quest for purple people. So whether, whether, say, the business is red and IT is blue, Mm. Yeah, the quest for purple people, um, people that that can do a bit of SQL, can self-serve, write their own reports using standard tools, 
uh, understand the data and and but therefore again how do you create that those purple people because again many organizations struggle with you've got the IT department yeah. and you've got the business department and they communicate via email and and, and word documents yeah I mean I think uh, you'll see I, yeah. I think the there'll be a generational shift that helps solve that problem over time I think when you look at you know um, certainly you know the uh, the younger end of the millennial generation and then certainly yeah. into Gen Z and alpha where they're highly proficient from a tech perspective they're just going to take that naturally i think into their yeah you already see role. that so let, let me call it traditional it versus digital it so when when you when you walk on a digital floor mm-hmm. at time often you you can't uh, identify who's it and who's business right exactly yeah cuz digital by definition is is technology and whether your business or or IT, hmm. there, there's a deeper affinity, and therefore, it's often easier to to be purple. It's almost you are purple. You're purple at purple the start. by definition. Purple by definition. Purple um, by definition. And yeah, and I do think that that exactly as you just said from a, from the newer generations um, perspective that that's almost. Yeah, that the new generation is purple by definition. Yeah, technology is part of their DNA. Yeah, yeah, com- comes with some downside as well. But I think this is not a social impact podcast. No. But that, I, I think I was about, I was literally about to say, I think that's a subject for another podcast. Yeah, three teenage kids. Oh my god! <laughs> no, we haven't. We haven't got another Enough three time. hours to unpack that. Was. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, uh, on that note then, look, thank you so much for joining us today, spending some time with us and sharing your insights. It has been a fascinating look at a movement and a data transformation in action uh, with, you know, some very good driving points uh, like the, you know, changing customer expectations. So Wes, thank you very much for that. Thank you. Now we end every episode of this show by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next. And that could be you know, I'm going to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 at the weekend, or it could be uh, an exciting business opportunity that you've got coming up. So, Wes, what are you excited about doing next? Um, well, I'm, I'm just going to stick to to business uh, and, and therefore work. I mean, it's almost like the new dawn. I, 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 ju- I can see also uh, with the benefit of being 50 plus, yeah, the whole ERP uh, evolution and I loved and was part of ERP, that that whole. I'm not going to call it a movement, but the ERP was the ERP yeah, was of the nineties and nineties, yeah. and, 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 and therefore, I mean, that was revolutionary in a way for for many companies, and now almost um, decoupling. Yeah, the, the the real thing I believed in was. Uh, the integration of mm. of ERP, and I still do, but that mindset I, I retain. But therefore, the future and and how I can help shape that and, and meet these challenges, and therefore be part of the continuous transformation, not a specific transformation of Burberry, but also the growth and the success of Burberry. Yeah, and, and Jeff, I've described sometimes my function as one step removed. Yeah. There's nothing I do that says, or my team does, that says, we sold that trench coat. Nothing. Yeah. 
app that was the customer engaging on either a digital platform or a sales associate install. However, uh, making that process easier, quicker, and, and being part of that, that, that complete transformation of how the world works, but also how, therefore, companies like Burberry work is just so exciting. I, I couldn't agree more. We are, we are absolutely at the beginning of a, a very significant change. Yeah, uh, what is the world going to be like in 10 years' time? I, oh. I dread to think. I don't dread as in I can't understand it. Yeah. The robots will have taken over and, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, we won't be podcasting anymore because there'll be an artificial version of this yes. one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We'll yeah. be avatars digitally generated yeah. running somewhere in lucky. a data centre. If we're lucky, Rob. <laughs> Some of the things you've said on these past podcasts, I'm, I'm, I fear for you, mate, when the robots take over. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I'm in trouble. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I'm just excited because I feel I'm part of something, I, even though I don't know what that is. Yeah, because yeah. I don't know what the future is. Well, it's is. the exploration that's the joy, isn't it? It's the exploration that's the joy. So, Wes, thank you very much. Cool, thank you. So a huge thanks to our guest this week, Wes. Thank you so much for being on the show. To our sound and editing wizard, Ben. And of course, to all of our listeners. We're on LinkedIn and Twitter, Dave Chapman. Rob Kernahan and Xiao Kizal, feel free to follow or connect with us and let us know if you have any ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality next week. <laughs>